Back here on Sports Talk. Here we go on a Wednesday afternoon. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Big, big game for your El Paso Chihuahuas. Exploding late. How about that? Down 7-1, Adrian. 7-1 on a nice, gorgeous Wednesday morning game. And just when it seemed like the team was toast, look what they do. They come back and they score 15 runs from the fourth inning on. 15 runs. They win 16-8. That's wild. Yeah, it's really wild, Steve. And, it, and it's not as wild when you start to see who's on this roster for the Chihuahuas. I mean, really, when you break it down, it's Luis Camposano, it's C.J. Abrams. Uh, today you're getting Matt Beattie, who's joining them from the San Diego Padres uh, on MLB Injury Rehab. So it's like your, your bigger names who are coming up big for you in these games where you're rallying back. And then now they've done it in back-to-back games where they've yep. come from uh, six runs down. I know. Good to see C.J. Abrams starting to hit the ball a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, Stephen, and, and uh, what a day he had today. Yeah, he was big, uh, but he struggled since his first couple games. I remember he came on the scene and was hitting, I think, three home runs in his first two games, but I was looking at his numbers right now, even after today, where uh, he went three for four with two RBIs and three runs scored in a walk, his batting average is up to two fourteen. So he's wow. really been slumping, uh, you know, those first couple of weeks, which is expected. Look, he's never played Triple A baseball. It takes time, even if you're a top prospect. You sometimes can't just expect to go to Triple A and hit. He he struggled in major league hitting. He never really played over Double A in his life. You got to give him a chance to set Lynn right now, which he's doing here in El Paso. Yeah, and what a day again! Three for four, two RBIs, and he also gives you the stolen base. I mean, uh, Abrams, that's somebody who uh, fans had to be patient with coming out of the gate, but now they're getting to see what he could do as as uh, he's finding some success here in late May. I mean, look, four steals, but he's been caught twice, so you know. Yeah, got to get a little bit better there. Yeah, I see. You got to get be efficient at that point. I know, I know. It's crazy. So anyway, that uh, that happened earlier this afternoon uh, for you uh, baseball fans. It means we're going to be running uh, Celtics Heat again tonight. And by the way, what a series this is turning into right now. We we aired Monday's game in which the Celtics roared back to tie it at two apiece, and now tonight, what a game this is going to be because really, it's the best two out of three now. Best two out of three because uh, it's tied at two. They're in Miami for game five tonight, and ultimately the winner of this could end up winning the series when it's all said and done. Yeah, if you're Boston right now, this is the game you want. You want game five. You do not want this to go to seven games and have to win it out at FTX Arena in Miami in game seven. You want to win it in game six. So you have to win. uh, You have to steal game five tonight against the Heat. By the way, Steve, in that game four, I was worried about the Heat. Like, Jimmy Butler, he looks like he's favoring uh, that injury that he suffered in game three, which uh, kept him out all, you know, pretty much the entire second half, allowed Boston to come back. Back in that game, uh, and then you also look at the Heat without Tyler Hero in that previous game. They need that offensive support, and uh, you you wonder when that injury report comes out here later tonight uh, before tip off, who will be playing for the Miami Heat and who will be playing for the Boston Celtics? Uh, that's a great point. That is a great great point. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of good storylines uh, for tonight's game five. So we'll have it for you six o'clock here on 600 ESPN El Paso, and then 6.30 tomorrow and Friday for uh, Chihuahuas Baseball. So, you know, it's, it's a good week for us. A lot of good sports. I'm happy we're airing uh, NBA playoff action. It's what it's all about. 
By the way, you know, since um, Monday is is the off day for the Chihuahuas, every Monday uh, they're off. I'm looking right now. I mean, we're off Monday because it's Memorial Day. I think Chihuahuas actually play on Monday. Oh, they play? Do they have a Monday game on yes, the 30th? Yes, at least our KROD schedule says that. So right. I'll, I'll double-check with the El Paso Chihuahuas schedule. Well, let me see what I'm looking right now, too. Let me see what we got here. Um, huh. Okay. That's interesting. So you're right. Um, they play at Salt Lake on Monday. And... I wonder what the schedule for June is like now that I'm looking at it. This is kind of interesting. Oh, they're off Tuesday. Okay. So they play Monday for Memorial Day, and they're off Tuesday. And then they resume things on Wednesday. So Tuesday, May 31st, um, potentially is, well, there's nothing. Because Game 7 for the Celtics Heat would be Sunday. Monday is... Potentially Game 7 for the Mavericks Warriors, which we don't believe will happen. So Tuesday will be a day off, basically, before we get to the start of the NBA Finals uh, later next week. That's right. Yes, I think the Finals uh, get started on the 2nd or the 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it, it just gets started that first week of June. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, next week we'll get started at some point. Good to know that May 31st, we get a full three hours on Sports Talk. That's right, Steve, on uh, Tuesday the 31st. That's yeah. exactly right. All right, so we're looking forward to that. Be a lot of fun today. No Jay Jaffe today. Jay is um, out of commission today. So we'll get uh, hopefully Jay back next week when he uh, resumes things with us. But here's a treat for you today. Joe Gomez. You all know Joe. Joe Gomez, longtime um, uh, president of the uh, Sumble Basketball Tournament back in the 80s and 90s. A man that organized the 20th reunion for the 66 team. Arguably as the greatest collection of 66 Texas Western memorabilia on the planet. He's donated most of it to the university, but he's got tons of stuff. Well, anyway, Joe's going to join us coming up at uh, 20 past the hour. So we're going to talk to Joe about his collection. I mean, how he's been essentially putting everything together over the last 50 plus years and how all of you could have an opportunity to uh, potentially come into some of Joe's collection. We'll explain in our second segment of the show. So that I'm looking forward to. Steve, do you, uh, you know, I, I've been really interested in like uh, sports teams from El Paso that aren't around anymore. The memorabilia that comes out of that, like Buzzards uh, stuff, yeah, you know, old Ch- El Paso Diablo stuff, old Sun Kings memorabilia, stuff yep. like that. I'm always fascinated with that. So I, I might throw a question like that to Joe. Hard to find Sun Kings memorabilia in this town. Very, very hard. I'll tell you who's got some really cool stuff is um, Fernie Grotto. He's got some neat Sun Kings baseballs from the uh, early to mid-70s. So that's kind of neat, before they became uh, Chihuahuas. And some 60s stuff. Nice, that's Fernie's, really cool. Fernie's got Fernie's got a collection that'll make your head spin. It's just the, it's just the truth. Fernie's been profiled in the paper over the years, television. I mean, uh, Fernie Grotto's got the greatest collection I've ever seen. It's the closest thing to Cooperstown you get in El Paso. Wow, really? So, oh yeah, he's the king. He is the king. And there's no, there is nobody close. Nobody close. But Joe's got an amazing collection himself, and Joe's going to join us uh, coming up here at uh, 20 past and and uh, give us a little time today. And then we've got Jeff Erickson in the 5 o'clock hour, and then we'll get you ready to go for uh, the Celtics heat uh, coming up at 6 p.m. Now, I wrote about this a little while ago, received word that uh, we lost uh, one of the greats in high school coaching today, found out the news from Wayne Thornton that um, uh, Norm Phillips, I mean, 50-plus years coaching track in El Paso. 50-plus. 
started in 65 and up until last year was still active. Between Irvin and Hanks, it was amazing. 92 years old. What a legacy. He is so recognized that he was voted into the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame 32 years ago when he was 60. I mean, that's amazing. And by the way, when he was voted in, he still coached uh, nearly 30 years after that. How amazing is that when you look at the life of Norm Phillips, one of the all-time greats? What an amazing life right there, and I'm sure he impacted so many of the lives of El Pasoans who got a chance to meet him and, and you know play for him at Irvin High School. And also, you know, I love the fact that he went as a retire-slash-rehire uh, with his daughter to Hanks, which I, I found very interesting back, uh, you know, in the 90s. So even when he was uh, uh, you know at, finished at, at uh, Irvin High School, Steve, he still finds uh, his way back to Hanks High School. I like that yeah me too Uh, me too but um, remember i mean when he goes after irvin he followed his daughter his daughter was coaching uh high school track and brought him on board back in like 93 and he stayed there till last year it's amazing until he was like 91 years old he was helping out at uh, you know over there at hanks that's amazing right there it just shows you that his dedication to the sport and how much he loves to work with uh young track athletes out there at the high school ranks and also a very cool piece of trivia the fact that uh, one of the greatest shot putters in the history of our country, Randy Matson, won a silver in the 64 Olympics, a gold medal in the 68 Olympics. How about the fact that when uh, he was at Pampa High prior to coming to El Paso, um, Phillips coached Randy Matson? Wow. He coached an Olympian. That's yes, he amazing. did. Absolutely right. Matson is like 77 now, and he was coached in high school by Norm Phillips. That's a great story in itself, Steve. And just the fact that he he uh, encountered him. The 1964 Olympics, gold medal at the 68 Olympics. Yeah, I love this story right here. Great, great piece of trivia. I'm with you on that one. So, uh, telling you, uh, Norm Phillips, one of the greats. Uh, we lost him today at the age of 92. What a legacy. And by the way, tweets coming in like crazy. Mark uh, Tischler, uh, who goes by the handle Prairie Palace, tweets the show. I remember Coach Phillips. He was at Irvin while I was there from 68 to 72. Great coach. Wow. I love that. Good good memory there. Good job, Mark. Appreciate that. Cesar Cubillos at Ice Cubillos. His late wife, Eleanor Phillips, was my junior year social studies teacher at Burgess in Chaperone for our trip to D.C. Great local legacy left behind for them both. R.I.P. from Cesar Cubillos. So that's also a great uh, response to that. I love that. So. Really enjoyed uh, the you know, the tweets uh, about uh, the life of Coach Phillips. Just like I loved hearing from people about uh, Tom Lee's The Turning Point, the story I wrote about yesterday with Texas Western in Utah. One of the one of my all time favorite paintings. I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, Joe's going to talk about that too because there aren't too many of these exist. Um, the painting came out in '66. Adrian. It uh, depicts the Billy Stevens touchdown to Bob Wallace to beat Utah that year in which the Miners would reel off two more wins, then go to the Sun Bowl and beat TCU 13-12. So they capped it off with, I think, an 8-3 season. And the painting, which was then portrayed by Tom Lee and dedicated the following year in 66, the way the story goes, the way Joe told me, um, what they did was uh, they had a bunch of people come by and everybody got a print. And they also had Wallace, uh, they had uh, Stevens, 
Chuck, the late Chuck Hughes was there. Mark Yarbrough, who was the running back for the Miners that year. They were all there, and they signed Prince for fans that wanted it, along with Tom Lee, and some of these actually still exist today. And those are those are the things that uh, are are probably the biggest collector collection items that you can uh, get your hands on right now, which you can't. But uh, this Tom Lee painting is one of the most memorable paintings you'll ever think about when you when it comes to Texas Western football. Yep. I love the story behind it. I love the artistry behind it. I feel like it's very graphic when you kind of look at the details that are involved. And uh, now more than fifty five years old is the piece, which I find very amazing right there. Oh, I do too. And by the way. Here's something that's really cool also about this storyline because, again, you talk about this whole thing. Um, you know, you think about this. Uh, Tom Lee was born in El Paso, died in El Paso, one of the legendary, legendary artists from this area. Uh, this is a very hard piece to find these days. You just don't see it very often. And if you do, you're lucky because they haven't, the school hasn't reissued this in any capacity. Tom Lee passed away many years ago. Uh, so it, it is definitely one of those great items. Uh, did you ever find out? Was it? Is it in your family possession? No, no it isn't. I found that out real quick. Um, I, I was incorrect on that one, but I did. You know, I was just doing some digging yesterday and just kind of seeing a little bit more on this. It tur- this painting turns sixty in two years, Steve. I know, which I know. is, I mean, well, three years, but uh, it, it's pretty amazing just to to reflect back on this one right here. I'd I'd be uh, so interested to know if the university can find some way to remember this, maybe a digital version of this to give out. To fans like as a screensaver or something or maybe make some kind of a small print that they could give out at a football game I'm not sure but I just think that this painting needs to be remembered more as far as a historical uh, you know recollections when it comes to UTEP football totally agree with that totally agree so again we'll talk about that with uh, Joe Gomez coming up here next as we continue on sports talk today it's gonna be a fun show fast show for you as we get through two hours on our way to the Celtics heat game number five Coming up uh, top of our 6 o'clock hour on the pregame show and then tip off at 6.30. All right, let's go to Charlie One. We'll kick things off here on a Wednesday with our first traffic update, and then we're back with plenty more, including Joe Gomez, 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, 21 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Good to have you back on this Wednesday edition of the program, right in the middle of the week. Holiday right around the corner. Memorial Day weekend. But I know a lot of you are going to be spending it uh, in a variety of ways. But I want to bring on a man right now that's been joining us over the years uh, quite a few times. He's called into the show. He's been a featured guest on the program. He makes a return appearance right now. Always great when El Paso and Joe Gomez can spend a little time with us here on the Wednesday edition. Hey, Joe, how are you? I'm doing great, Steve. Doing well. Doing well. Thank you. Oh, you bet, Joe. You bet. Um, Joe, this is going to be a fun segment. You know, from time to time, we talk about sports memorabilia and collectibles on a national scale. We hardly do it locally. But I want to focus on you because what some people probably already know is that you are so well known for your relationship with the 66 team and your collection of the 66 team and, uh, and UTEP. But you've been a collector probably most of your, uh, your life, whether it's your adult life and even before that. And uh, it's pretty fascinating when you think about what you've been able to put together all these years, which is kind of how I want to start this conversation off, Joe. When did you really start collecting sports cards, sports memorabilia, and, and just kind of getting into the hobby in general? Steve, I think it was uh, December of 1965. 
because we played Iowa, we beat Iowa, then uh, that afternoon we also beat uh, TCU in football. And I think that gave me the the idea that someday this stuff may be of some value. I believe it. That's that's when I when I first started. Um, it's it's pretty wild because I can imagine that um, you know you grow up as a kid in in El Paso, and in those days, I mean, was it easy to collect baseball cards here in the fifties and sixties as you were growing up as a youngster? Oh yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a kid's uh, hobby then. Then it got into the adults where they were selling them at Walmart and. Uh, it got out of hand because then you could go buy a whole set where before like tops, you could buy, uh, half of the, half of the collection, uh, before the all-star game. And then after the all-star game, you, you collected the other, the balance. So, uh, it was fun and it was great. And, uh, it was, a, it was a fun way to pass your time. Where would you go as a kid to buy the cards? What were some of the places in town that that sold baseball cards in those days? Well, in those days, you could pick them up at uh, Circle K. Uh, I used to go to uh, Border Tobacco mm-hmm. and uh, and pick up non sets. So, and then you have friends that you could just, you know, you played the flip game and you. Uh, and you got you picked up numbers that you didn't have, so it, it wasn't so hard. So I was wondering if Circle K's were around in El Paso in the fifties and sixties. They were, huh? Well, yeah, but Circle K. You know, I uh, Circle K came from um, uh, uh, Mr. Hervey's wife was named K. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and that's, it started, that's about and, and, what I did. and we. It, and I did it at the PX, too, at Fort Bliss. I was living in Fort Bliss. I don't think people realize that Circle K started in El Paso in 1951. People that were not, you know, born here uh, in those days, but maybe grew up in El Paso years later, they might not have realized that the convenience stores actually got their start here in 51 in El Paso. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Mr. Fred Harvey, was, his wife's name was K, And so he started the Circle K uh you know to name it after her yep you're right absolutely and funny enough um you know i i guess in those days uh they were called circle k food stores um and and yeah. it was and it was the letter k rather than uh k a y which is his wife's name so um, it, it's pretty interesting when you think about it, especially since, you know, Fred Hervey went, ended up serving two terms as mayor of El Paso after he started doing this. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, But he wanted to bring, you know, some tribute to his wife. So There you go. That was kind of nice. Yeah. So, so for you, I'm, I'm sure baseball cards, you know, go back to your childhood, it is something that you did as a kid. And, and the hard part is, collecting them, saving them, and preserving them. That was fun. But on the flip side, then after the 66 championship, which is right around the time you were graduating high school and going into college, um, you realized something, didn't you, that uh, this had a chance to be a pretty special team um, for years later. It was almost like you were ahead of your time because you were just a few years younger than those guys at the time. (laughs) 
That's right. I was a I was a freshman, and uh, I guess I, I you know that's how I got to know the uh, the players on the team. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would say I was ahead of my time because I always thought that that was such an important uh, event that uh, I thought someday and and you know and then eighty five Bobby Joe Hill and I were talking and. He said, "No, don't do it." And I said, "Yeah, let's do it." And then we talked to Bill, to Bill Courts, and he told me, "Don't be raising money outside of the university, and you know, don't do it." So I went to see Coach Haskins, and I and I told him, and he said, "What did he say?" And I told him what he said, and he said, "You go do it. Get the rings and do anything you need to do." And that was like the start of everything, Steve. It was, because ultimately you helped organize the 20th reunion, which was really the first big one in 1986. I know they came back in 76 and actually played an exhibition game against the 76 Miners, which is something that few people remember. But if you ever went to the old Jacksons, there were pictures from Brian Kanoff that were taken at that game between the the 66 team and the 76 team when they actually played against each other that year. Well, I don't remember that. I know that they uh, they attempted something in '65. Uh, but I don't remember that 76 versus 66. I, I, I really don't. And that's, that's difficult for me not to remember that. Uh, but well, anyway. The only uh, reason I know, Joe, is because I saw those photos hanging at Jackson's, which were, which were labeled and, and marked from Brian years and years ago because he had some of those pictures that were taken. And I guess in those days, you know, the 66 team were still in their late 20s. And, uh, you know, that's... That's a fun. That'd be a fun reunion game to have, especially if you put those two together. But in '86, that was the 20th anniversary, and you're still talking about mostly everybody from that team in their early to mid 40s, and you got them together for the first time, and that was really the start of the celebrations that I think then extended to 25, 30, and about every five years we kept seeing the '66 team coming back. Sure, and we did it in '67 too. Uh, 67, I gave him watches and, uh, that was, but the 86 was the one that was the most special because there was a sellout crowd. We were playing Hawaii, uh, and it was just, uh, a really fun time to, uh, to be able to put on something like this. More with Joe Gomez as we continue here on Sports Talk, but first it's the bottom of the hour. Let's go to Adrian and get this Sports Center update. Thank you very much. Joe Gomez with us right now on the phone lines. We're talking about uh, the 66 team, the rings, uh, what he, you know, his ties to the 66 team from his college days at Texas Western till now, and, and, and really the collection he's put together. And by the way, speaking of the collection, how difficult was it for you over the years to try and find original pieces of dated memorabilia from that 66 uh, team in the 66 season? Steve, it was like God was watching over me. And, uh, I mean, things were were just falling in my lap or people were giving me stuff. But it was uh, it was ideal because it just, it just so happened that way. And it wasn't like I thought about it every day and I need to get this, I need to get that. 
it just happened, Steve. And, uh, and I thank God for, for putting me in that place. Um, because like I said, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was accidental. I can promise you. Well, you've been tied with uh, that team uh, again for for fifty plus years now, fifty five years really. When you start to think about it, and and what that team meant to you and to the city of El Paso, and over the course of time, uh, whether it's the original prospector from the uh, championship, copies of the Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, photos, uh, you know, original stuff, uh, you really have have been able to put together a great collection. And if I'm not mistaken, doesn't it also include some jerseys that you've uh, you've donated over the years to the university. Yeah, I donated uh, a jersey and a warm-up top, and it's on display at uh, the uh, Foster Stevens uh, at the complex, and uh, and those were fun to collect. I'm sure. And, and again, hard to find. I think the biggest problem was, Joe, and people don't realize this, was after the 66 championship, a lot of the players kept using those same jerseys for many, many years, and they were probably hand-me-downs to eventually the freshman team and, and intramurals and whoever was able to get a hold of those. That's true. That's true, because they didn't have much money, and that's why you saw the difference in uh, uh for example, Cager had a number 10 and he had a number 11, and uh, they all had different numbers. Uh, I think Bobby Joe was the only one that, uh, and I think Latin had 14 and uh, 44 or 42. Yeah. So it was a, it was a difficult time. It was, they were short on money, and even though they won, uh, they just seemed to be. Uh, I don't know, Steve. I mean, they were they were sort of forgotten, uh, and then every once in a while, somebody would come would come up and talk about it. But I, from from '85, I decided that I wasn't going to let it die, and I was going to pursue it as hard as I could. And uh, you know, I had problems with athletic director and the president of the university but we got through all of it and i hope that i've that i've done something good for the for the city and for the guys that are still alive well you look at what's happened we've had the movie we've had the hall of fame we've had uh, essentially they've all become national celebrities as a result honored at the ncaa final four meeting the president uh, i think that ultimately when you look back at that team the legacy is pretty incredible, Joe. It really is. And again, as we've talked about, you've been able to piece together a lot of what you probably would call priceless uh, priceless pieces of collectibles and memorabilia from that team that season. But it doesn't just end there, Joe. You've got a piece that I wrote about yesterday, The Turning Point, which is one of the great um, art sports paintings uh, in the history of this community, and it was done by the great Tom Lee right around the time that Texas Western was winning the national championship. It was following that 1965 football season, that great win over Utah, and that's a great story in itself considering the school convinced Lee to paint that game-winning touchdown pass, and ultimately it still hangs out there at the Durham Center. Well, I can tell you, if I remember correctly, the school had nothing to do with him painting it. He wanted to paint it. And uh, the first one, the first uh, paint he did, he did on 
butcher paper, white butcher paper. And the guy that got that white butcher paper was uh, George was Wallace. And uh, he ended up giving it to Richard Adelto, from what I understand. Uh, but that's a real piece to keep. Wow. That is that is a, an outstanding collection memorabilia. I did not know that the original was not the one hanging uh, the painting, the oil painting in the Durham Center. I did not realize that the original was actually on a piece of butcher paper. That's that's a fascinating story itself. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like chalk on uh, white butcher paper, and uh, it was, uh, well, Bob Wallace uh, brought it in for one of the reunions, and uh, I, I tried to talk him into giving it to me, and it ends up, he ended up, I heard, I, I don't know how true it is, but I heard he gave it to Richard Adalto, but I, I'm not 100% sure of that. All I know is, and I talked to Billy Stevens about the turning point yesterday, he told me that there was a banquet back in 66 that he attended along with the late Chuck Hughes, uh, Bob Wallace, Mark Yarbrough, um, Bobby Dobbs. They were all there, and so was Tom Lee, and that everybody who showed up received a print, and that that night a lot of the miners who they received signed each other's and also signed copies for the public. And you don't see very many of those these days, Joe. That is probably one of the more sought-after collectibles you can find. Well, you're right. There, there are not many that you can find. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that, that I happen to have one. But I think it's time to uh, let it go. And so I'm, I'm happy to... Uh, to have it in my collection for this year and to sell it. So uh, that's the story behind the turning point. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute because uh, over the weekend, uh, you're going to be selling not just your uh, Texas Western collection, including the turning point and all the 66 stuff that you have, but you've also got baseballs that are signed because you're a big baseball fan. You're at all the Chihuahuas games. You've, you've accumulated a lot of signed balls from Hall of Famers, a lot of other pieces of sports memorabilia, and you decided that now's the time to sell. And my question to you is, how come, Joe? Because some people will say they'll keep it all the way to their grave. Tell me what made you decide that now's the time to let somebody else here in town uh, possess some of these items that that you've collected all these years. Well, I think you just hit the, the nail on the on the head. It was to, to share it with people that are younger, and I thought that it would be a great idea to give them an opportunity to have them. I never sold anything before, and uh, I've loaned stuff to UTEP, and there's stuff there's stuff uh, on loan at the Foster Stevens. But I thought that it would be a, a perfect time to to help some of these kids that uh, that don't know anything about the '66 team or Turning Point or anything like that. Uh, the baseballs I'm hanging on to till you and I get have a chance to to go through each one of them. Well, all I know is this. Uh, if people are interested, Joe, and they want to see some of the stuff we're talking about, see it firsthand, I'll make it really easy for you, folks. 
All you got to do is uh, is go to estatesales.net, search Joe Gomez in the search bar, and you'll get all the details on uh, what Joe's going to be up to this weekend because he's going to be very busy with that. There's also been some stuff in the newspaper as well, which you could search, especially on the digital edition if you get that, or the print edition, and uh, the sale is going to be going this weekend. So uh, I'm excited about that, Joe, because like you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of stuff that will be going into the hands of, of new collectors. And then all of a sudden, uh, they're going to have an opportunity to gain this, tell their stories, and go from there. And more than anything, if you get a chance to stop by, you're going to see a lot of UTEP history, a lot of one-of-a-kind items, Joe, that you just don't see anymore. Well, that's true. And uh, I, I, I hope they sell fast. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. I hope it sells fast. And uh, like I said, between that and what I've loaned to UTEP, it's the it's a culmination of a of a lifetime of collecting. Awesome. Now you're not asking for the uh, UTEP stuff back, are you? You gonna let them hang on to that for a little while longer? And they have it for as long as I'm alive, and when I die, they get to keep it. Ah, that's awesome. That's so, good to hear. That is good to hear. All right. I no. want I want this uh, event to to get its own life and and them collect, you know, become collectors in their own way. So well, we'll uh, see. I plan on having you stick around a little while. You're not going anywhere for a while, Joe. So you stay put with us. And uh, in the meantime, the sale is going to be phenomenal. It's uh, again. Coming up uh, Saturday, Sunday, 9 to 2. And I told you what you can do, folks. You can go to estatesales.net, search Joe Gomez. All the information is right there. You'll be able to uh, pick everything up in conjunction with uh, a new beginning estate sales and appraisals, and you'll be all set and good to go and see everything we've talked about here on the show today. And who knows? You might be owning it when it's all said and done. Because I guarantee you there's plenty of people listening that are going to want to add that to their collection and uh, their trophy rooms. And looking forward to seeing how this goes. Joe, you've been terrific. I appreciate uh, catching up with you again. And um, all I can tell you is uh, excited about what's going to be happening for you this weekend. And I look forward to seeing you again real soon, Joe. Thank you, Steve. Take care. Joe Gomez. We continue here on Sports Talk. 43 past the hour. Come back with more in a moment right after ABC 7 News. It's next. 600 ESPN El Paso. Two now past the hour. My thanks again to uh, Joe Gomez for joining us on the program. A lot of fun visiting with him. And uh, Joe and I go back. I feel like I, Joe and I go back 40 years. Like I've known Joe when, when I was younger, and he was running the Sunball tournament, but always come over talked to my dad when we were sitting at UTEP games about who was going to be the next year turn next year's tournament and stuff like that and uh you know he's done a really nice job what a legacy he has that's that's really cool especially all the stuff he's donated to the school over the years and what he's been able to accomplish and, and put together that's that's neat I love I love interviews like that we could talk to uh, local people that that uh, you know have just built these uh, these terrific collections I think that's so cool yeah and the timing is so interesting Steve like we were talking about I also felt like uh, you know he's got so much to offer with this uh, coming up this weekend and I mean just reminiscing just the different encounters that he had uh, with all these legendary teams over the years with UTEP Texas Western very interesting and just local teams in general Steve very interesting yeah it really is really really is I had um, no clue about that the 66 team coming back and playing the seven team that was a that was a great trivia right there i'm telling you the only person that might remember that was brian from downtown because he shot the game 
And I don't remember if the game was at, is it, I think the game was at Memorial. I think it was before they opened the Haskins Center, which was then the Special Event Center. Although the game might have been the first ever game at the Special Event Center. I wow. don't know. That's, I was, we didn't move here until 78. So, you know, and 76, I would have been three while that game was going on. So maybe there are some El Pasoans that remember it. But, yeah, they, they did have reunion games in those days. I would love to know how that was. because You're right. Like when you were saying those guys were in their late 20s, so it's not like they were old guys uh, running up and down the floor. But I'm curious to know, like Bobby Joe Hill, who ends up, uh, you know, not playing basketball uh, for his career. He ends up doing other things in the city of El Paso. I wonder what his game was like in the late 20s. I'm sure he was still really good. You know what it would be like? It would be like the 92 team playing that six-win 2002 Billy Gillespie team the year before he turned it around. Yeah, the year yeah. before he got Omar Thomas and Philly Rivera. This could only happen in basketball, right? You, you know that, right? Like, it can't happen in football. cannot happen in, in no. most other sports. Baseball, I could see it. Yeah, maybe baseball, yeah. But you're right. Football, uh, basketball seems to be the sport you could do. Uh, reunion games sound like a blast, don't they? Yeah, they do. Like, when they do those UTEP alumni versus, you know, uh, a local team here in El Paso, yeah. those are always a lot of fun to just kind of reminisce on or, or uh, to look at. They are. All right, one hour down, one hour to go. Uh, Jeff Erickson will join us about 25 minutes from now. we got plenty more to get to, though, so stay with us. Sports Talk continues adrian's movie review coming up in our five o'clock hour right here on 600 cspn el paso start of hour number two here on sports talk as we continue Adrian's love for Greta Van Fleet uh, also leading us off in hour number two. Oh, you know, my favorite band out there. Steve. This is your number one band. I mean, forget <laughs> about all the uh, emo bands you listen to privately when you're not uh, here on the radio station or the rap and the hip hop and stuff, because I know it's not all about rock with you. You got a lot of musical taste. I just I laugh whenever uh, Greta Van Fleet uh, takes over the show and, and leads us off. It seems like you have found the entire library of uh, music. And, and showcase it here on the show, Ted. Congratulations. I, I got to start removing them from the. You know what? You told me this, I think, the first time or the second time. I think I threw them in the rotation um, that they kind of sound like Led Zeppelin. Now I can't get that out of my head. So I think I've got to remove them from this mix, Steve, because every time I listen to them, I'm, I'm thinking of. Led Zeppelin, like I don't, I, and it's like an imposter. It's you should tweet even, the band to let them know that they're making more appearances uh, on this radio show than they probably are a rock station. That's that's big news. I, I don't know. Our, every time I turn on our rock station, KLAQ, I, I definitely hear them. They play a lot yeah. of Greta. They play I, a lot I figured. Of Greta. I, I figured they do. That's pretty good. All right, hey, we got a lot in store for you in our five o'clock hour. Uh, Jeff Erickson, Adrian's movie review. We will get you ready for the NBA with the Celtics uh, and the Heat. Big big game five coming up tonight. Huge. Game five, right? This is uh, this is a, this is what it's all about. Winner of this could have the control of the series. And by the way, good to see the Dallas Mavericks finally uh, found a little inner fortitude and won a game. I didn't know if it was going to happen. I didn't know if they uh, had uh, what was what they needed to win a game. But finally, they win at home, one nineteen, one oh nine, a near triple double from Luca. But if you look at this game. And um, you realize, you know, the Mavericks pretty much had it going on like they needed to. And uh, everybody got involved uh, with the exception, really, of uh, Dwight Powell, who only played 12 minutes at the center spot. But uh, they got good scoring from everybody. Luca, uh, the key to me yesterday was nine assists, only three turnovers. 
And uh, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but he didn't turn it over. And Adrian, when the team doesn't turn it over, good things are going to happen. And that was kind of the situation last night. Only eight turnovers for the Mavs in general, and three guys committed those eight turnovers. Yeah, the, yesterday was another killing, and I, you know, I, I think we're talking about this every every day now yeah. for NBA playoffs. And the the weird part about yesterday, it was a blowout. Like going into the fourth quarter, Awful. all the starters were out. And then Golden State went on this insane run in the third quarter, and they started posting stats as far as like NBA teams who have come back from like a 29-point deficit and actually won a playoff game. They're starting to throw out all these stats, so Dallas starts to get nervous. They throw back their starters into the mix. Golden State gets excited. They throw their starters into the mix, and uh, yeah, Dallas was able to fend them off. I, I like the game that we saw yesterday from Reggie Bullock. Uh, six three-pointers. I mean, it's hard to beat a team when... Uh, you're you're actually hitting uh, shots from beyond the arc like Dallas did yesterday, and now that's the key going into Game Five. Can they make shots from the three point uh, ra- from three point range out in uh, you know San Francisco and beat the Warriors on their home court? I don't know if that's going to be the case or if uh, the Warriors will just gentlemen sweep them and beat them in five. I feel almost like the Warriors gave them Game Four and yeah. said, "Okay, you know what? Hey, you got Game Four. We'll come back. We'll take it in Game Five. We'll take it back home. We'll end this thing then." Um, the only way the if the Mavs win in San Francisco, it makes it really interesting because then they could come back and I look. I don't see them winning four in a row. I just don't. I don't think that's even remotely possible. Um, but for one night, they they played well. Uh, they did. They did all the right things. And you're right. Twenty nine point lead after three. It should have been. And and, and again, this kind of sends sends it about them with the Warriors, right? They you know you're getting annihilated. The final score doesn't look nearly as bad as it was during the first three quarters, which begs the, the you know what we talked about yesterday on the show. Are people turned off by the NBA because this is supposed to be the best product that they can put out at this time of year and because so many of these games are lopsided and it's all about long-distance shooting and how, you know, jacking up three after three. I mean, you look at the totals yesterday. My God. Uh, the Warriors took 43, uh, the Mavericks took 43 uh, three-point shots. They made 20 of them. And then uh, the Warriors took 28 three-point shots, made 10 of them. But uh, there are a lot of, I think there's a lot of old-time basketball fans. When I say old-time basketball fans, I mean fans that grew up watching it either in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and they're not into it right now because this is not the basketball that they've grown up with all these years. It's a different type of game, different ball, immediate, you know, and, and the scores are all lopsided. I don't know. I just I just don't feel like a lot of people are digging the NBA playoffs right now. Yeah, over the past uh, yeah I would say like five to seven years, we've seen a um, huge shift from post play action in the NBA, and it's all a perimeter game now. And it, the the frustrating part isn't when it's, it's a nice offensive set, you're pinging it inside, and then you kick it outside for a nice three pointer. That's ball movement. That that's what people like to see in basketball. I feel like the Golden State Warriors do a good job of that. What people get frustrated with, Steve, is when you're watching the NBA and you watch a transition three or somebody shoot so early into the shot clock, take a very questionable shot attempt, and uh, and then them, them miss. And it's just kind of back-and-forth shot-making. Who's going to make the long-distance shot? And that, that's where it gets a little sloppy. It gets a little frustrating. I still say that the shot-making in the NBA now is better than it ever was uh, in this sport. And, and I think that it will, it'll continue to get you know far from beyond the arc. People will continue to shoot three-pointers at an insanely high clip 
because they believe that this is the way to win basketball games. I don't I don't agree with that, but that's just the that's the case right now. Dick Vitale sent this tweet off 18 hours ago. Can you compare hoops in the way the NBA game was played during the Jordan Magic Bird era with today? I admire and respect the multi-skills of today's solid gold PTPers, but watching 71 threes jacked up tonight between Dallas and Golden State is not how our game should be played. Comes from Vitale. It's tough to defend that. I mean, I it's been like I said, it, Kirk Scholesbury. He's a one of the best uh, NBA analysts uh, that you could look at right now. He tracks shot making. He just showed that with the Houston Rockets, what they did from 2017 through 2019, and what and how uh, how much they wanted to shoot three pointers. That's actually the I guess you know NBA analytics, NBA math nerds. They believe that by shooting way more three point attempts rather than hitting mid range shots, that's the that's the key to victory. That's the key to success. Um, yeah, that's why you're seeing the Dallas Mavericks play a lot of ISO basketball. Luka Doncic attempting a lot of three pointers. Sure, they drive it inside, but when they're driving it inside, they're trying to sell themselves on fouls. That's another thing that people can't stand nowadays: is everybody trying to sell out, you know, themselves on fouls and kind of flopping at times. You're right. You're absolutely right. So funny how uh, though some of the I won't say the old time guys, but. People that grew up watching, uh, you know, 80s NBA and 90s NBA are having such a hard time with it right now. Now, Vital is not getting young. I think he's in his 80s. Uh, Peter Vesey is probably late 70s, early 80s. But um, once again, you know, reading uh, some of those tweets and they're talking about just how, how it's hard to watch right now, how it's difficult. Here's a, a reaction that somebody uh, posted yesterday. Um, They tried to watch the game, but after three or four no calls on traveling violations, they went back to other TV. Used to love the NBA, but just can't accept it as it is anymore. It's tough to watch. They don't call traveling. I mean, they don't. They they don't. They haven't called it in the past decade. So I I mean, like these things, they're, they're. there are things that have happened for a while now. It's not like it's just happened this year in the NBA. This has been going on for a while. I would say the new things that we're starting to see is we're seeing new athletes kind of uh, cling on to bad habits from these uh, recent older players. So, like, you're, you're getting Luka Doncic looking like he's LeBron James out there complaining for every foul and talking to the referee after every timeout. And I'm a huge LeBron fan. I'm a, I'm the LeBron guy on this show. But, uh, but I can acknowledge the flaws of this sport right now. I can acknowledge what's going on and how it's tough to watch at time. How, how are you going to get more fans to start watching the NBA as it is right now as a product? I wonder, though, I wonder if the fans that are complaining today about the game are the same fans that, um, you know, back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, were saying the 80s is, is, is ruining the game because it's not like they played it in the 60s. I mean, you could have the same kind of arguments because you got to realize that when Dr. J came around and then led into Magic, Bird, and Jordan, uh, the game was completely different than it had been in the 60s. So you wonder how many fans from the 60s said the same thing about the NBA in the 80s and said it was not watchable because, uh, you know, as great as the athletes were in the Jordan, Bird, Johnson era, it was just a different type of game where in the 60s it was much more shooting based and and you know you saw a lot of defense and, and not to say you didn't say defense in the 80s you did a lot of good defense but the, the game's evolved it just continues to evolve and the problem is is that sometimes the game doesn't always evolve for the best that's the truth is that you know you, you grow up and, and let's say you're a you're a kid now so you're a you know 8 10 13 14 years old whatever this is this is your era of basketball this is what you know 
You don't know the other stuff unless you've got people watching the NBA Classic games and, and seeing what it was like. So this is what you're raised on. So it, I think it's all just relative to the era you grew up in as far as basketball-wise. Yeah, and unfortunately for this current era, the younger generation era, they're going through a, a really bad era of AAU culture, which is now feeding into this uh, whole wild, wild west of NIL, which, you know, this is going to change basketball even more than what we're seeing right now. I think everything is going to be about contracts, money, the money is going to get you know uh, much higher on on a national scale. That's what we're going to be seeing out of this AAU NIL culture. You're right, and it might never and, and it, it might be like this for a while. You know, I don't know if things are going to get any better anytime soon. Do you? No, I don't think so. And I, I actually think that the next uh, transition and people won't like to hear this, but it could end up being you know a, a, an elimination of college basketball or more of a pro bat pro like amateur style uh, college basketball. You know, basically, I think the college basketball that we see today is going to be eliminated, and we're going to see a lot more players uh, out of high school elected play professionally, whether it's here in the states or it's uh, overseas at some point. I could see that, too. Really could. All right, Jeff Erickson right around the corner. We'll talk a little fantasy sports with Jeff. But first, tell you about Charles and Carmen. You know, they wanted to sell their home on the far east side of El Paso because they wanted to downsize, and here's what they did. They enlisted the help of Brian Birds and his team, and since they weren't really in a rush to sell, but they did want the most money, the home was pre-marketed in Brian's Coming Soon program. Here's what happened. The home was listed for $399,000, but within two weeks, it was under contract for $403,000. They wanted the most money, and Brian's team, the Brian Birds team, powered by EXP Realty, delivered. Now remember, you got to find that sweet spot when you list your home. Not too high where it doesn't sell, or too low where you leave money on the table. You need Brian Birds. Absolutely no drama when it comes to Brian and home selling, and if there is any drama... He'll let you fire him free and clear. Here's the difference with Brian Birds. He guarantees to sell your home for a price and deadline you both agree to, or he'll buy it himself. That gives you the chance to make an offer on another home without fear of ending up with two mortgages, because you know when and for how much your current home will sell. So call the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC, and the Rhinos. The only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home, he's Brian Birds. Hey, El Paso, have you heard? Alright, our friends at X minus one taking us back here, nineteen past the hour as we continue. Little fantasy focus. How's your fantasy team doing? Mine's in a in, in a miserable funk with injuries and Injuries and more injuries. Yeah, I'm dealing with a really bad injury too. Brandon Lau, I did not have much depth at my second base position, Steve. Well, now you got Nolan Gorman up for you. You should be That's thrilled. Right. You feel like you won the lottery. Yeah, seriously. You're in a dynasty league. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Hey, I'm selling out on the future. There you go. I'm here. You, I hear you on that one. I do. Uh, Jeff Erickson joins us for our weekly fantasy chat uh, here from uh, RotoWire.com, your one-stop shop for all fantasy sports. Check him out at uh, Jeff underscore Erickson on Twitter. And uh, looking forward to the next uh, twenty minutes with uh, Mr. Erickson. How you doing, my man? What's going on? I'm doing well. Yourself, Steve? I mean, uh, fantasy sucks for me this year, Jeff. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been I've been on top for so many years now. I'm just. I guess it's finally starting to hit me. Injuries have been bad. Some guys are disappointing. My offense can't hit. I traded for uh, I traded away one dud for another. Max Muncy's been horrible. Dealt him away. Got a guy that can't stay healthy because of a bad back and Chris Bryant. So it's been a been a tough run for me. I'm not going to lie to you, Jeff. 
Now, is this a keeper or is this your long-term dynasty league? I mean, is this your dynasty league or yeah, a redraft long-term, league? Yeah, uh, long-term dynasty, Jeff. So is it maybe possibly also part of the cycle where some of your guys are kind oh. of cycling out? And, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I'm just, you know what, you know what the worst part is when you're, I don't know if you ever deal with this. I do this every so often, though. When you're in a long term dynasty league, when do you recommend to blow up the team? That's a great question that we never talk about. So, you know, you're in a long term dynasty league, right? You play every year, you keep the guys you want, and based on salary and structure and that, when do you decide it's time to scrap it, rebuild, and set yourself up for the following season? That's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm going to be very loath to give up because let's face it, chances to win are, are infrequent. Um, they, they just don't come around often. So, you know, you got you, you've been a strong team for a while. It's hard. I, I always go for the last hurrah. I'm always one of those guys that is probably a year too late than a year too early. So do you go the Los Angeles Rams route and kind of win now, or do you go the Bill Belichick, hey, let's, let's wait, let me accumulate some different pieces left in Ryan. Let me build a Super Bowl for next year. I'd say more the former uh, than the latter. Um, I'd rather uh, – because the, the future is not guaranteed for anyone. Um, you know, you're, some, some of the guys that you think you're building around for the future, I mean, they can, they can have setbacks. They can, they can get hurt. I mean – Think you, you may think, oh, I'm set. I've got a cheap Jacob DeGrom. Well, guess what? The last two years, yeah, you got a half a season of Jacob DeGrom. Good job. I got a cheap Ronald Acuna. I'm going to be dominant again this year. Or, you know, you have your, or, or he tears his ACL and you miss most of the season from him. 100%. 100%. And you know what the craziest thing about fantasy is? One year they're good, the next year they suck. I mean, that happens a lot with younger players. Like, take Tyler O'Neill for an example. It's been a terrible season. Injuries, and when he's healthy, he's not producing. I dealt him away for Brandon Rogers because I needed a second baseman. Yeah, I see it. I see it. Uh, and Brandon Rogers, I mean, he didn't play today. It was frustrating. Uh, just as he's starting to come around a little bit, you're like, ah, don't, you know, don't bench him against the Pirates. That's right. Never. That's right. Uh, and speaking of the Pirates, uh, Brian, than that you know, in that Coors Field, but yeah. still, Brian Reynolds is another one who hasn't who hasn't come around yet. Yeah, he's kind of like one year on, one year off, and I think that's part of the issue is like dealing with these guys that are uh, on the margin to begin with. There, Tyler and Neil, you know, was a breakout guy last year. It wasn't like he was a solid like three year run performer. He's a guy that. You know, he broke out despite having flaws. I mean, the strikeout rate has always been there. Even last year when he crushed it, you know, he still struck out way too much. You're right, 100%. So that makes it even more. That makes it even tougher when you try to determine a player's value and a player's worth. Like you said, when you're dealing with a young guy like Brian Reynolds, who's one year on, one year off, and you're in a dynasty league, you're like, what do you do? I mean, you, you almost like, I, have, I would think a formula has to be consistency, right? And do you try to sell high on guys that are doing well like that because you're just expecting eventually them to fall back down to earth? Yeah, I mean, let's take Tyler O'Neill again. I mean, again, you look for certain indicators. You look to see, okay, well, this is a guy that, you know, he's got the power speed upside, and you look for that if you can acquire it cheaply. The second he starts to become expensive, though, I mean, that's when you start, you know, you look to try to flip it maybe a little bit there, especially when you have a clear flaw. We're talking right now with uh, Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. Um, what is it? So this year, but doesn't it seem like this year hitters are much more frustrating for fantasy baseball owners than pitchers? 
Yeah, uh, they at least until the last two weeks. I think hitters have started to kind of come around. We started to see some uh, pitcher blow-ups the last few days. Ask Dylan Cease or Tyler Malley, uh, fantasy managers, how they feel about that. Uh, the Mets and Giants game last night was give me more of that, but it was it was death to your ratios at the same time. Uh, or Alex Cobb earlier in the week, you know, one fluke hit drops in and it's like a one percent hit likelihood and leads to five earned runs. You know, luck, luck plays a pretty big role there too. Uh, yeah, it was really frustrating not getting the at bats. We saw so many guys on the interstate. Uh, we're starting to see them come around though, and. You know, some of that I think is the weather and maybe timing, but I, I sneakily, and my my inner conspiracy theorist suggests that maybe the ball is different again, and they haven't told us. Oh, I hate the baseball th- conspiracy theories, but it's true. I think they mess with the baseball so much. It's like they just, I don't know, maybe they got a secret lab, and and, and it's like you know, Rob Manfred's Doctor Evil, and he's just trying to decide what he's going to screw around with this week. Right, and it's confirmed that it's happened before. I mean, it's not. Like this is some. It, it's not just a conspiracy theory. It's it's actually happened. Whether it's happened this year again is another story. But they, they've made in season changes before to the baseball. Because guess what? Major League Baseball bought out Rawlings, so they have whatever control they want, and they haven't exactly been forthcoming about what they're doing. Good point. We're talking with uh, Jeff Erickson right now from Rotowire as we continue here on Sports Talk. Nev Poppy checks in today. Which Crawford at shortstop should I keep? Yeah, Victor wants to know. Uh, which Crawford? Yes. Um, I prefer Brandon over JP. Uh, I think a little bit more power there. JP is probably a better chance to hit for average. Uh, but I think yeah, you look at the Giants are a better lineup, too. Here is his second question. Is Marcus Semyon a lost cause? No, but he is lost right now. Um, you know, okay, so he is one of those frustrating hitters, and you know the fact that he hasn't homered is just kind of wild to me. I have too much of a track record of him being a pretty decent player. I mean, he's never been this bad. I, I think you know sometimes you get guys in their first year of a contract that are pretty rough. Uh, but ultimately, they find themselves. Usually, I'm not giving up on them. I get the frustration. I do. Uh, the bad. It's not like it's a fluke that he hasn't hit a homer. He has. He hasn't had any barrels either. I think mean, that's the tricky part. But um, I, I, I still think it's coming. I mean, I think I don't think he's completely forgotten how to hit. I wonder if it's the curse of going to Texas. Might be. Might be. I don't think it's hurt Seager as much. But uh, no. You know, I need it. Need to double check on that. Uh, you know, Seager's had eight homers, so no. I mean, he's not hitting for average right now. I'll say this: it's not the hitter's park that it used to be. Uh, the new ballpark is played a lot more like a, uh, a pitcher's ballpark over the t- over time. So that's true. You know, that's you know m- maybe that's part of it. I think you know Semyon is a guy. You know, he's this first time he's ever gotten a big contract. Remember, he got lowballed badly by the A's, so he had to accept a one-year deal with the Jays last year, made good on that, and finally came through. But, you know, he might be pressing because of all that. He's trying to prove that he's worth it. We're talking right now with uh, Jeff Erickson here on Sports Talk as we continue. If you've got any fantasy questions, now is the time to fire them away at us and uh, and go from there. Uh, who are some of the other players that have disappointed you right now? You know, the, the Marcus Semien types and Tyler O'Neill's guys that were fantasy MVP-like the last couple of years that are really, really struggling right now. Yeah, uh, Joey Votto's one, although he homered today, so maybe there's some 
some hope there. I mean, you can find just a bunch of first basemen. A lot of the kids, Spencer Torkelson's really struggled. You mentioned Max Muncy. He's really struggled, hitting 154 coming into the day against the Nats. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at first baseman <laughs> as one starting point here. Yep. I mean, you could look up and down the board. There's always going to be some early slumpers that are, that are going to be crushing you. Uh, Javi Baez, another guy in the first year of his contract that's really not working out so well. Uh, he, he He's had years like this before, too. That you know he's capable of that. I was thinking that this was the end of Nelson Cruz's career because he's struggling so much in Washington, but his bat is finally starting to come around. Yeah, it is, and D.C. has had some really tough weather, too, so he might actually be one of the guys that, you know, weather is the excuse. Uh, and you know he's going to have Juan Soto on base in front of him a lot of the season. That's true. And that's another guy who's not coming up with nearly the kind of production that we've seen the last few years. Yeah, he's not coming up with anybody on base. Yep, I think that's, that's right. the biggest problem. He's got eight homers, only 14 RBI to show for it. You know, that's not on Juan Soto. That's on the that's on the the Nats and that wonderful uh, roster build they've managed. Now, could he be doing better? Yes, he could. He could be hitting for better average right now. He's on the hook for some of this, but I, I think he's probably my get. My bet is he's chasing more. Uh, you know, he's getting tired of getting pitched around. He already has thirty five walks, even forty four games. Yeah, I know it. But that two forty one batting average, you could tell that that's usually a sign of somebody getting frustrated because he's a better hitter than that. Usually, he's about sixty seventy points higher than that. Exactly. More with Jeff Erickson as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's go back to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Rotowire.com, your one stop shop for all fantasy sports. All right, let's talk about some guys that are in the headlines for a variety of reasons and get your take on all of them. It's kind of like the flavor of the week, we'll put it that way. Uh, Clay Holmes' his name is getting a lot of attention, especially with Chad Green out now with Tommy John surgery and Araldis Chapman not being effective. Should Clay Holmes be the new closer for the Yankees? Yeah, it looks like he will be. Um, I, though I don't know if they'll use him strictly as a closer. They may bring him in some hot spots here and there, maybe use Michael King. But, you know, it, the season began with Chad Green and Jonathan Loisaga as your top candidates for, to step in if something happened to Chapman. And now it's Clay Holmes and Michael King. So uh, life comes at you fast there. But in both cases, they're, they're playing, they're pitching well. Holmes hasn't allowed him to earn runs since opening day. Now, you know, I'm probably super jinxing him. I hope not because I do have him in a lot of critical spots. So um, I think that, uh, you know, you look at what he's done. He's just been so good. His pitch mix is great. Uh, they, they got a steal when they traded for him from the Pirates. They did. And yet when I look at, you know, his career and what he did last year with the Yankees, it was good. I mean, 3.6 ERA, 1.17 whip. But prior to that, he'd never really been effective. And now all of a sudden, you know, sometimes does it take relievers a few years? And are they like wine, Jeff? Do they get better with age? He's 29 years old. Is that kind of a the, the age when you really got to start looking at relievers? Because, you know, you get these 23, 24-year-old kids and they've got promise, but they don't always appreciate themselves in their, in their role until they get a little older. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes you see them burst out of the scene like K-Rod, though. Uh, other times you see him burn out quickly too. I mean, yeah, it, it's I, I I haven't found a pattern uh, when yeah. it comes to relievers. I think they're just. I would just say that for the most part, they have a short shelf life. Are uh, you? They, they yeah. have two or three years where they're really dominant, and then and they off they go on to you know, and you go on to the next one. 
Are you buying veterans that are off to great starts? Johnny Cueto's had three of them right now with the White Sox, and and Martin Perez has been unbelievable uh, going back to Texas. I'm not buying either of those, uh, especially Perez. I think he is, I mean, his command has been fantastic. I'll give him credit for that. Uh, But I don't think this is for real, and I think you should sit sell. I mean, I don't think he's not throwing any harder. He's not missing any more bats. He, or he might be a little bit, but still well below league rate, average. Like he's up to 19% uh, K rate. I mean, it's it's not it's not ideal. I mean, I think you should if you have him and you have a market somehow to sell, then yeah, I, I go for it there. Cueto's different. I mean, it's interesting. His first two starts have been great. He got the Royals, but then he also shut down the Yankees. And I go, okay, well, that, that's pretty good. Uh, I think the stuff is always. Fine when healthy, but when healthy is the critical factor here. If you're, I mean, if you're not contending right now, you should absolutely be uh, looking to sell him. I think he's, if you can get him cheaply, otherwise go ahead and get him. Um, but I just don't, he's not like a guy you're building around for sure. He's a Mr. Right now, not a Mr. Right. Is Nick Pavetta coming around for Boston? I think he might be. Um, some some smart guys in my industry have been uh, talking, we're talking him up at, around draft day and then. In April, people were, you know, egging him on, thinking, okay, well, aha, you were wrong about that. But the last few starts have been pretty darn good. Yeah, they really have. Uh, Rowan Z. Contreras, a young arm with Pittsburgh. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, command still needs some work, especially on his slider, his number two pitch. He throws a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. He, he, he can't always spot it perfectly, but, you know, he, he's someone that has some upside. I just think he's a little bit of an unfinished project. Uh, Nick Nick Pollock from Pitcher List did a really good breakdown, and I retweeted out the link earlier this morning. Uh, but he did a, like a twenty minute YouTube thing where he just looked at all of his pitches, and they talked about he, he talked about his strengths and weaknesses. And you know, he, he had a hard time throwing the slider for strikes, and you know, some of his other stuff was just not great. So not 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 to diminish him too much, he's still probably the best the Pirates have, but uh, he's still got a work in progress. I think he's more. That that outing yesterday, five shot outings was more the product of picking on the Rockies on the road. Let's get back to some of the hitters right now that we're going to discuss. I mentioned uh, Nolan Gorman earlier because he's on Adrian's team and he's excited about the arrival of the Cardinals uh, prospect. What do you make of Gorman? Good power. Really took another step up this year. Worry some about the strikeouts. He also struck out a lot, even in AAA, even in his breakout this year. But... Uh, he it did cut down a little bit. I, I think that that's going to be your cause for concern. Uh, you know, I think he's spent enough time at second base now that he's close enough. He knows the position well. Came up as a third baseman originally, but he's been over at second ever since they got Arenado. So uh, we'll see. Um, he might be up to stay though. They, I mean, the thing is, uh, they're willing to move Tommy Edmond to accommodate him. That seems like a indicator that they want to keep Gorman up. By the way, another great uh, player. If you've got Edmund, now you get uh, shortstop eligibility along with second base. That's nice to have. Yeah, it is. Uh, anytime you can add that extra position, and Edmund often is second base and outfield already, so now you add one more. That, that's beautiful. What can you tell me about Luis Adiz, the Minnesota third baseman? You know, uh, in, a, in a season where it doesn't pay to have as much loss because the ball isn't going as far, he may be more of a line drive, hard ground ball hitter. Maybe that's Arias is someone that's better suited to this baseball. Uh, at least that's that's maybe the speculative theory there. But um, 
I, I think he's always been a pretty decent hitter for average. He's not going to get you much power, and he doesn't have a whole lot of speed. But if you need that one thing, that batting average, and, and a second category maybe being runs, then Arias can help you. Last week we talked about uh, Kansas City catcher MJ Melendez, and he continues to play well, especially with the long ball. Yep. What about Wilson Contreras's younger brother William, who's really starting to make a little noise now uh, with Atlanta? Yeah, we got a, some fun, uh, some fun young catchers. Uh, those two, uh, you know, you know, uh, Christian Bethencourt's also getting a little extra playing time. Yeah, it's fun. And the thing I like about uh, Contreras is they, they're trying to find places for him to play, whether it's DH, whether it's catcher, played left field the other day. Now, he didn't do great in the outfield the other day, so that's something to watch for. But he even batted second, and that's something you've you got to love seeing. He's going to slow down some. He already has started to do that slow down a little bit. Went one for five yesterday, but there's some pop in that bat. Already has six homers this season. Yeah, looking good, that's for sure. All right, let's talk about what you've got up at rotowire.com. Uh, focus on a couple of baseball articles for me this week. Sure. Uh, well, the big thing is James Anderson came up with an updated prospect list, uh, the top 400. So I think that's something you want to talk about a little bit there. Uh, if you're in a dynasty league, uh, you can use your My Leagues feature to tie your league to our, our rankings, and you can see who's available, who's you know who, who's going to be uh, – uh, or who, who can you trade for, maybe, or who do you have as a increasing or declining asset? Uh, he's, got, he's got a uh, mailbag tied to the prospect rankings article up on the site. Uh, I like Jason Collette's uh, article on uh, you know uh, on stakes. Uh, he calls them ribeyes. Uh, you're talking about the stat of opportunity. Who's making a uh, uh, making a, a good conversion of those and who's not obviously we just talked about soto and how he's not converting it those rbis right now but and maybe that's like a sign of someone that you might be able to pick up and get get on the cheap maybe not soto but maybe some of the other guys that jason's referring to you've got a fascinating uh potpourri up on your homepage right now i'm talking about french open betting picks with sasha yadashkin who uh, put those together you got a formula one article as well and uh champions league final showdown from trent alexander arnold i uh and and that was the story that uh, aj schultz has put together for you uh there's a lot of yep. interesting material up at the uh, Rotowire team right now. You guys are scanning the globe for everything. It's like you're the Ocho of fantasy sports right now. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, special mention of soccer, by the way. Uh, our guy, Ryan Bologna, won DraftKings major contest uh, that people, uh, you know, you could buy ticket, win tickets into their final event. $100,000 on Sunday for the English Premier League. So, um, want to give him a shout out. He's been rocking it all year and rode Arsenal to that title last week and uh, on Sunday. So very happy for him. Uh, go Liverpool on Sunday, by the way. Uh, I mean on Saturday. Um, I'm a big I, I'm a big fan. Uh, so rooting for them over Real Madrid. Fantastic. Did you see our guy uh, Ivan Melendez uh, getting the Big Twelve Player of the Year award in uh, college baseball? Nice. Uh, we, that's the guy we talked about earlier, right? Yes, it is. He's up for the National Player of the Year right now, uh, Jeff. Very good. Very good indeed. We will be we will be keeping tabs on the Hispanic Titanic. In the meantime, appreciate the conversation as always, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back with us next week, Jeff. Sounds great. Thanks, Steve. 
Jeff Erickson, folks, rotowire.com. Come back with Adrian's movie review and get you ready for that uh, Celtics Heat Game 5. It's coming up here in 20 minutes on 600 ESPN El Paso.